0: ah beloved i'm pastor trey and you're now listening to the new living translation this is bona fide bible talk because god speaks my language too and i'm sure enough about to act like it let's go season two baby look mama we made it they done renewed your boy for a second season and by they i mean us Cause the only people we got to answer to is three black men, and Robin, Sam may tell me not to keep going. So, I guess this is where we at now, huh? And this was like a real show with a real big budget. This is probably the time where we would recap everything you might have missed in season one. But number one, it's not. And number two, this podcast is about the Bible. So. If you want to know what you missed, you can probably start in Genesis and work your way through, I guess. I don't know. Eventually, you'll run into some of the stuff we talked about, or you can probably just go back and listen to the whole first season. It's only going to take you a couple of hours because I've been making podcasts with people with short attention spans. Come to think of it, I'm not really sure y'all appreciate that, the whole episode being done in 15 minutes thing, but somehow, some way, we find ourselves here yet again. So I'm going to assume whatever issue you have with that is not a complete deal breaker. We're going to keep going with that. Now, I am going to give you a brief recap, but it's not going to be a season one recap. It's going to be a recap of why we find ourselves here at the New Living Translation. Bonafide Bible Talk with Pastor Trey. Matter of fact, the original OG trailer, the one that dropped before the first season, talked about this a little bit. How I am absolutely captivated by the story told in Acts Actus. Acts, Acts, Yo that is a really hard word to say When you know that you are being recorded for posterity But y'all know which book I'm talking about The Acts of the Apostles The fifth book of the New Testament In the order that we put our canon in And it's so fascinating to me Because at this point like At the beginning of Acts Jesus ascends back to heaven He's gone out of the lives of his disciples In a bodily way and somehow, some way, they're charged with keeping this movement, this group of disciples, this group of followers of Jesus going and motivated without his physical presence. And then we see in Acts chapter 2. The coming of the holy spirit on the day of pentecost in which people are empowered to speak in languages that they had never known before and communicate the gospel the story of jesus across language and cultural barriers and there's this amazing thing that happens in acts chapter 2 it says that the community is transformed they start selling all of their belongings so that nobody has need of anything now we don't talk about that one aspect too much because this is america the greatest country on earth We don't believe in filling anybody's needs for them. If you have a need, you better find a way to fill it yourself. You better find your bootstraps and pull yourself up by them. Gosh, darn it. But in any case, that's what happens in the Bible by this community of followers of Jesus. The first thing that they do when the Holy Spirit comes and, and alters their community is they start speaking in new languages. They start getting rid of all of their belongings to take care of each other. That's what happens. That's what the Spirit of God does when it's given free reign in this community. Acts then goes on to tell us about some of the major players in the early church. You hear a lot about Peter taking a major step forward after all of that flaky stuff he pulled during the final days before Jesus' crucifixion. You hear about people like Stephen, who was one of the first ordained deacons and was also willing to die for this faith that perplexed so many of the people around them. Eventually, we meet the Apostle Paul, And when we meet him, he's a major hater. Like, he is in the way. He even says it himself. This isn't me talking. He's like, yo, I was the worst. And I believe him. He's just going around trying to make life terrible for anybody who rocks with Jesus. But in the midst of this intentional hellscape that he is creating, we have this movement of people who scatter from Jerusalem and begin taking the gospel with them. And among those people is this man named Philip. Now, we first meet Philip in Acts chapter 6 when he's named as one of the original seven deacons, but he pops up a few times after that, and one of the more memorable occasions is this episode he has with the Ethiopian eunuch. I've read the story a thousand and one times before, but recently I came across it, and I had some different thoughts about it. Like, I read the story through a different lens, and it profoundly impacted the way I view the idea of community. Community is constructed by the Spirit of God. And i wanted to share that with you guys but before we get too much further let's talk about the story i'm gonna jump right into the action here but what's happening is after experiencing persecution and even some executions by this major city of jerusalem some of the believers they hit the road like they get out of dodge they're scattering all over the place and philip is one of those so at the same time we're introduced to Saul of Tarsus, who we'd later come to know as the Apostle Paul. We find our brother Philip out here doing, well, let's look at the scripture. This is bona fide Bible Talk about Acts chapter 8, verse 26 through 39. A messenger from God gets word to Philip. He tells him to take a trip down this back road out of Jerusalem, headed south towards the desert. So Philip does just that. But on the road, he comes across this Ethiopian. Come to find out, he wasn't just any Ethiopian. He was a eunuch, and he worked directly for the queen of Ethiopia. He was over the treasury. But this Ethiopian eunuch made it all the way to Jerusalem to worship. And he was on his way back home now. Cruising in the carriage, he's working his way through the writings of the prophet Isaiah. At the same time, the Holy Ghost told Philip to check that carriage out and hang tight. So he runs up to the chariot. And he hears this Ethiopian eunuch reading from Isaiah. He butts in. Yo, you know what you reading? I mean, not really, the eunuch replied. How am I supposed to get all this if ain't nobody here to break it down for me? So he invited Philip to hop in the weapon and kick it with him. The passage he was reading said he was led to slaughter like a sheep, and like a lamb before the one who takes his wool, he ain't make a peep. They dehumanized him he ain't getting no justice. You ever hear of any kids from him? They wiped his whole existence off the earth. The eunuch asks Philip, Was the prophet talking about himself? Or was it someone else? Philip seizes the opportunity. He starts from that same scripture and flips it to talk about the good news of Jesus. As they riding down the road, they come upon this bit of water. The eunuch goes, Look, we got water right here. Tell me, what's standing between me and getting baptized? Philip tells him, If you believe this is for you, like, really believe it with everything you got to believe with, we could do this. The eunuch said, I know the son of God is Jesus, the anointed one. So he told the driver to pull over. He and Philip hop out the whip and went to the water. And Philip baptized him. When he got up out the water... Holy ghost took Philip out of there. Eunuch ain't see him no more, but he went on rejoicing anyhow. Typically I've heard this story presented as an example of the gospel reaching the nations. The Ethiopian eunuch is sometimes celebrated as the first Christian on the continent of Africa. But can I be real with you for a second? That's not really what drew me into the story this time around. I began to notice how little we know about this Ethiopian eunuch. I keep saying Ethiopian eunuch because we're not even given a name for this Ethiopian eunuch. Just that he was the treasurer for the Kandake or the Candace, a title used for the Queen of Ethiopia during this time. And I began to contemplate what his life might have been like. I think of what it would have been like for him to live his life in this body that had been mutilated, likely without his consent. And based upon what we know of eunuchs around this region during this time, his status in the queen's cabinet or whatever you'd call it's probably due to the fact that he was a eunuch. There exists a very real possibility that his whole life was structured around him, assuming this position, this purpose, filling this role for the queen, regardless of whatever his hopes or aspirations might've been. And then I thought about the fact that he traveled all the way to Jerusalem to worship that he left home, a place where he might not have found any real sense of belonging in hopes of finding something worth celebrating, something worth worshipping, something worth belonging to in the city of Jerusalem under Roman occupation. And Then I think about all of the things that would have prevented him from participating in worship in Jerusalem. The fact that Deuteronomy 23 says that people who've had their genitals crushed or mutilated, that eunuchs cannot participate in the assembly. They can't enter the sanctuary. And on top of that, he's a foreigner. He does not belong to the people of Israel. He does not belong to the people of Judah. There's no reason for him to be at this sanctuary, but here he is anyway. And I wonder how close he might've been able to get in Jerusalem before finding out that he didn't belong there either. And yet, and still, On the way back home, he's reading over these scriptures, reading from the words of the prophet Isaiah, when the spirit of God directs Philip towards his chariot. And I'd imagine Philip is drawn towards this carriage because it's clearly a foreign chariot, but he hears the words, these familiar words of the prophet Isaiah being spoken. And he's like, yo, what you know about that? And the eunuch is like, not a whole lot. I came all the way to Jerusalem, but I can't find anybody to walk me through this. I can't find anybody willing to teach me, to share with me, to bring me into community and help me to understand. And the eunuch then invites Philip into the chariot. And because Philip has been led there by the spirit of God, he obliges and he gets in there. And as he's doing this, he hears the eunuch reading from these scriptures, talking about somebody being led like a sheep to the slaughter. Somebody who remains silent, like a lamb before its shearer. And the eunuch asked this question, he says, yo, is the prophet talking about himself or is he talking about someone else? Now, typically when I've thought about this story, when I've heard this story, when I've heard this text preached, we focused on Philip's application of Jesus in this text. And we look at this text as a prophecy of Jesus and that may well be, but what sticks out to me is how this Ethiopian eunuch might've felt as he read this text. As somebody whose whole life had been lived as a subject, somebody who had literally been led before the shearer had his whole identity changed and wasn't allowed to say anything about it. Just had to serve. See, Isaiah speaks of this suffering servant as the one through whom the new kingdom, this new promise, this new reality of God would be revealed. And I suspect that the Ethiopian eunuch might have been compelled to sit on this text and have it explained to him because the person he's reading about sounds a whole lot like him. And as Philip takes this text and talks about the good news of Jesus, who was brutally executed and crucified by the Roman state, but then resurrected and refused to stay dead. And how this story of Jesus had changed this community, had so altered things that Philip was traveling all throughout the region, trying to tell anybody who would, that the Ethiopian unit becomes animated and says, this sounds exciting. Because if everything that you're saying is true, then it means that God has revealed himself in people like me who can't find belonging anywhere. And with this new insight, this." newly inspired Ethiopian eunuch notices this body of water coming up. And he says, Philip, let me ask you a question. I know I can't go into the temple because I'm a foreigner and I'm a eunuch. I know that my whole purpose has been to serve other people that nobody's ever cared about what I wanted. I know that I don't belong, but based upon everything you've just told me, based upon what I see in this text and based upon the life that I've lived, tell me why I can't belong. What's stopping you from baptizing me right now? And Philip says, Wow. Do you really believe that? And the eunuch says, Oh yeah, I believe it. He says, I believe that the Son of God, that God has been revealed, that Everything that God is about is represented in this Jesus. You've just told me about in this anointed one that you've just highlighted in this text. I believe in him because I know him. You just told me about him, but I know him like I've never known anybody before. And Philip says, I guess we can baptize you then. And the Ethiopian eunuch has the chariot pulled over and they go and they do this daggone thing. And I am inspired by the faith of this Ethiopian eunuch had to see himself in the story of Jesus to the point where even Philip had to recognize that if everything I've said about Jesus is true, then even this Ethiopian eunuch has a place in this thing that we're building. And ever since I've read this story this way, I've been inspired to see all of the many ways that Jesus has identified with all sorts of people who find themselves on the outsides of all of these communities and I ask myself the question what's stopping them from belonging what's stopping them from community and sometimes the answer is as simple as us having a poor understanding of what Jesus is doing here my prayer is that by the power of the spirit of God I might find new ways of bringing people into community and recognizing that Jesus lived the life that he did just so that we could reach out to people just like that Translation is a production of Three Black Men, the podcast about theology, culture, and the world around us. You can follow us on Twitter at Three Black Men. That's the number three, not spelled out, Black Men. You can find me on all social media platforms at Pastor Trey05. That's Pastor Trey Zero Five. Don't send me no Facebook requests though. Like I do not be over there. That's the bad place. This work has been made possible by a community of folks who've chosen to show their support through generosity. You can join us at patreon.com slash three black men. Spell three out that time though. Patreon.com slash three black men. There you can find even more original content from Sam, Rob, and yours truly. Make sure you subscribe to, rate, and review the New Living Translation and Three Black Men wherever you get your podcast. And remember, real recognize real. Don't get caught looking unfamiliar.